Good morning. Good morning. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Uh, good morning. If you don't know me, I'm Connor McDonald. I don't know really what you would call me. I guess you could say youth, middle school, intern, associate, something. I don't know. I work here, not, not at PCA, at Covenant. Anyways, I am excited to get to look at God's word with you guys today. Of course, the circumstances for me being up here is not altogether exciting. The Allens are quarantined and many others will be praying for them. But nonetheless, I'm glad to get to teach today. And so one big thing I get to do is I get to hang out with the youth, and I love it. It's awesome to get to hang out with the youth and see them take steps of faith. And this is because for me, when I had one of the most explosive growths uh, growths in my faith, when I began to read my Bible to take being a Christian seriously, I was a sophomore in high school. And so to see high schoolers grow, to see middle schoolers begin to do things way before I did, is encouraging and cool. And so like Reynolds and Kenda and RJ were just talking about, the youth was at camp the week before last. It was great. We had fun. The speaker, Marty, was awesome. And the theme for us was free, as you can see on the shirt. And each night was a different point. We had free from, free to, and free for. That is, we are free from sin, free to Christ, and free for good works. So today I'm going to attempt to condense all of those into one sermon. The theme verse was Ephesians 2.8, but uh, we're going to zoom out and use all of Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 to look at those points. And of course, some complimentary scriptures. So Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, it's a beautiful passage. It's rich. Around these parts, it's referenced often. I'm looking at you, Jason. But in it, we see a lot. We see that we are completely sinful, that we are depraved. We learn about salvation and that it is done not by us or by our works of righteousness, but it is a gift from God. We learn that we are created for good works and we learn that God saved us because he is rich in mercy because of the great love which he had for us. All that to say, there is a lot of meat on these bones. So again, the ideas we'll look at today, the first is we are free from sin. Then the next is we are free to live for Christ. And the third is that we are free for good works. But before we go any further, let's read the passage and then I'll pray and then we'll jump in. A lot of of prayer today. So Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray one more time. God, thanks for today. And all you do for us, thanks for your goodness and loving kindness towards us. As we just read that we were complete enemies of you, but you saved us despite our sin. 
Thank you for Jesus and that he died for us. Let us see him clearly today. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. So firstly, we are free from sin through Christ. And so if we claim that we are free from sin, we must recognize that we were at one point slaves to sin. Again, look at the language in verses 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. We were in complete hostility towards God. We were dead. We followed the world. We carried out the passions of the flesh and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath. This is who we were naturally. This isn't some indifference towards God, but it's actually opposition of God. We were his enemies. As a fish swims, it does not notice the water surrounding it. Likewise, prior to salvation, we just sinned and that is who we were. We knew no different. And as I was thinking through an illustration for this, I began to think about deodorant. Before the invention of deodorant, which is an extremely good invention, if you don't believe me, go spend a week in a cabin with teenage boys and you'll realize they either do not have enough on or none on. But before deodorant was invented, which was the late 1800s, and it was really perfected in the early 1900s, BO had to be normal, right? Like, obviously, they wanted to make something to fix it, but if deodorant wasn't invented until the early 20th century, then body odor had to be something that people were used to. People would have lived, played, and worked used to that smell. It would have been normal. Prior to deodorant, it was probably just another thing people wouldn't have thought twice about it. Likewise, before salvation, we live in our sin, unbothered by it, maybe noticing its effects, but not caring. We lived, played, and worked in our perpetual stench. Before salvation, sin was our norm. Titus 3.3 says that we were foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy. We were hated by others and hating one another. And so sin is what naturally flowed out of us. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. You may have heard, of, heard the analogy talking about salvation of someone drowning and they are slowly sinking to the bottom. They're reaching up. They're headed towards death. But then someone at the last second before they die chucks a life preserver in and the person grabs it and they are saved. But that is not what Ephesians 2 teaches us. We in no way do anything in salvation. We don't uh, act. We are actually at the bottom of the ocean dead, a corpse, lifeless, hopeless, and it is Jesus who dives in and saves us at great personal loss. He gave his life and he drags us out of death and resuscitates us, breathing in new life. We were dead and Christ raised us to new life. So we were dead in our trespasses, but God. And so there's a lot of setup to get to our points, but to be free from sin, to be free to live for Christ and Free for good works, we then must be freed in the first place. We must be saved. 
Now, since we understand that we were in bondage to sin, that it was what naturally poured out of us, we can understand that it is not who we are anymore. We are free from sin. We are free from sin. At camp, the speaker, Marty, gave a powerful and effective illustration when talking about uh, our freedom from sin. Reynolds and I both talked about it. We're going to have to steal this one, so I guess it's my turn. So, President Abraham Lincoln issued the Preliminary Emancipation Proclamation on September 22, 1862. And it stipulated that if the southern states did not cease their rebellion by January 1, 1863, then the proclamation would go into effect. Of course, the Confederacy did not yield, and Lincoln issued the final Emancipation Proclamation on January 1, 1863. So the official Emancipation Proclamation occurred early in 1863, and this intended to free the slaves occupied by the Confederacy. But it was not until 1865 that the 13th Amendment was passed, which abolished slavery altogether. So for two years, there were many slaves who were declared free by Lincoln but for whatever circumstances, were unable to live free until 1865. And hear me, I'm in no way saying that the slaves chose to remain slaves on their own free will, but for the sake of the illustration, often we as Christians live in bondage to sin, in slavery to sin, although we've been de- declared free by Christ in his work on the cross. The book of Romans deals with this struggle between flesh and spirit and slavery and freedom a lot. Listen to Romans 8, 5, uh, 15 through 17. It says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For we did not receive a spirit of fear to fall back into slavery. We did not receive a spirit of slavery upon salvation. We were freed from our spirit of slavery. We're no longer slaves to sin. Why? Because we now have been adopted. We have the spirit of adoption. We are now God's children. And many people in our church have adopted children, which is a beautiful image of the gospel. And this is not some forced love, some contrived love or fake love that you guys put on your adopted children. You love them as if they were your very own, which upon adoption, they do become yours. They are yours and you love them. They become your child who you care for, feed, teach, walk with, and love. Like Hattie Jane is Jason and Tracy's daughter, period. She is given the same love as Connor and Hayes. She is given their last name. She is theirs. So with God, he adopts us and brings us into his family. And more than that, he loves us with a love that we do not and cannot understand. And then more than that, Romans 8 tells us that not only do we become his children, that we're adopted, but we are his heirs that we get to share in the riches and love of God. This is why we're no longer slaves to sin, because we are God's own children. And it's so beautiful because, yes, God saved us, but he also saved us at our very worst. Remember, we talked about in the beginning of Ephesians 2 that we were dead. Romans 5 talks about this a lot. It says in Romans 5, 6, it says, While we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Romans 5, 8 says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Romans 5.10 says, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by death. Weak, ungodly, sinners, enemies. God paid for us. He pulled us from the bondage of sin and made us his children. We often say that we love things. I love pizza. I love sports. I love my dog. But we in no way show that love or act upon that love. We don't prove our love. And God proves his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God moved towards us in our sin. Think about the prodigal son. He was coming back to his father covered in sin and filth. And it's not he who reaches out ferociously, but the father. His father seems to burst with excitement and joy at the return of his filthy son. So with God, God has freed us from the slavery of sin. We are free from sin. So that brings us to our next idea that we are set free to live free. We are free to Christ. To be free is not the right to do whatever the heck we want. We see this in Romans 6, 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Paul's saying here, should we continue to sin? Should we do whatever we want since God's grace is endless and abundant so that we can make God's grace look even better? And Paul gives a resounding by no means. The CSB, it says, absolutely not. So we are set free not to do whatever we want, but to do what is right. Romans 6, 4 says, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. We have died with Christ. Our old self was crucified to the cross and is dead. We have died to sin, and now we have been raised to new life. We are alive to Christ. This is what Ephesians 2.5 says, that we have been, been made alive together with Christ. And so when we are saved, there is still this internal struggle in us between the flesh and the spirit. And we are given the choice each day to either feed the flesh or to cooperate with the spirit each day. So if we maintain our illustrations, deodorant is a good creation, but it must be applied. It must be used Left in the drawer, it is useless. We must choose to wake up every day and put it on. If we don't, B.O. will show up. Likewise, we wake up every day. We can either choose to walk in the spirit or the flesh. Being free is only good if we walk in our freedom. If we don't daily meet with God through prayer and his word, it will be much easier for the stench of sin to creep up. Likewise, many slaves were declared free by President Lincoln, but were not able to be free for years after. They had no choice, but we are free. Once and for all, we've been declared right by the blood of Christ. Each day you can choose to pick up your cross and follow Christ. And as Jesus say, have life and have it abundantly. Or you can wake up and put on the flesh and have an apathetic, miserable, joyless, sinful life. Like I said, we were saved because of Christ and his work. We did nothing, but we do have the choice daily to live in our freedom or run back to slavery. This is an extreme example because it's Jesus, but consider what Jesus and Judas were doing on the night of Jesus' arrest. 
Judas was satisfying the desires of the flesh. He let greed, selfishness, and betrayal guide him. He was being led by the flesh. Whereas Christ was preparing himself for his horrific death and separation from his father. Judas fed the flesh while Christ cooperated with the spirit. And so we too have the choice to feed our own sinful desires or to cooperate with the spirit and be led by the spirit. Side note, we are talking about being free to Christ. And I must add that this is the best part of salvation. If being saved for you was just an escape of hell or to look like a good and moral person, then that is the wrong attitude. Yeah, not going to hell is awesome. Doing good is cool, but to know the one who gave his life for you is far better than any other thing. Jesus, the God of the universe, offers his friendship to those who believe. This is the best part of being set free, knowing Christ. This is what Philippians 3.8 says. Paul says, Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Everything that is good, everything that is beautiful, our moralism, our achievements, they are all rubbish, trash compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. He's better. Finally, we are set free for good works. And this is how Ephesians 2.10 concludes. He says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Consider the creation of the world. Genesis 1-2 says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The earth was formless and void and dark. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And what happened? Light, oceans and skies, plants and trees, fish and animals, the solar system... And then God created us and dropped us in this creation to be his representatives, to rule it and subdue it and fill it. God took nothing and made it beautiful. God himself looked at everything and saw that it was very good. This is his nature, taking nothing and making it beautiful. He took Moses, a man who said about himself that he was bad at speaking and made him the leader of Israel. He took fishermen and made them the leaders of the early church. He made Saul, a man who murdered Christians, Paul, the greatest missionary ever and the author of most of the New Testament. He took me, sinful and disobedient, and made me new. He takes formless and void and makes it beautiful. We see this in 2 Corinthians 5. 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are his ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
We see this here, this exchange of our prior way of life to a life devoted to Christ. If we are in Christ, we are a new creation. And so this is such a crazy passage because not only did God save us, which is crazy enough, but then he makes us his ambassadors. We are God making his appeal through us. It says here that he entrusts us with the message of reconciliation. That's such a strong verb that he entrusts us with the gospel. Think about a father entrusting his daughter to a man to be married. This man is trusted to care for, to support, to honor and love his wife. The father is handing over his daughter to another. I mean, I'm not married and I don't have a daughter, but thinking about one of my sisters being handed over to another man, our family entrusting her care to someone else, my dad entrusting someone else. Be careful. But that takes an immense amount of trust and confidence. In the same way, God takes us, formerly his enemies, and drops us into his story of reconciliation, and we get to partake in it. He entrusts us with the gospel. And then also we are to produce fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is not, say, the fruits of the Spirit. We often say, hmm, I'm really good at being joyful. That's my fruit, but I am bad at patience. No, as a believer, we are to exhibit all of the fruit of the Spirit. All of these things should characterize us. Matthew 7 and verse 17 says, So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. As Christians, we cannot bear bad fruit, just like a lost person cannot bear good fruit. So a mark of a Christian is bearing good fruit and doing good works. And a reminder, this does not save us. Our moralism, how good we are, and our works do not save us. These are things done in response to salvation, not things done to obtain salvation. Our salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone. And so one final thought on being free for good works. This means that you are set free for the cargo team. So now, what do we do with all of this? Little cargo team plug there. One, <laughs> the first thing we do, we are, so we are free from sin, so we must recognize and remove sin. Ephesians 2.1 starts with, and you, were, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. We were a Christian may momentarily act in the flesh, but being characterized by the flesh is not how we are to operate. Sin is a trademark of our former self. We should not live in, revel in, or find joy in the stench of sin. So examine yourself. Is there sin you are leaving tucked away that just you know about? Is there something glaring in your face that's obvious that you ignore? recognize and remove sin. So this means there may be some repentance and confession that needs to take place. Remember, sin is what defined our former self, the self that was dead at the bottom of the ocean. We've been raised to the newness of life. Why run back to that which nailed Jesus to the cross? Spurgeon said, if Christ has died for me, I cannot trifle with the evil that killed my best friend. 
We must recognize and remove sin. So next, we are free to live for Christ, so feed the Spirit. This is super simple. Devote yourself to time with God daily. Even if you neglect the flesh, but you do not feed the Spirit, you're still in a bad place. Neglecting the Spirit sets us up for failure. Feeding the Spirit equips us for life and godliness. So resolve that you're going to spend time in God's word and in prayer daily, not as an afterthought or to check a box, but to encounter Jesus. Moses asked to see God's glory and he only got a glimpse. We have God's word that tells the story of Christ from page one. The Bible is how we see Jesus and Jesus is how we see God. And then we have prayer that we can use to directly speak to God, to intercede for others, to praise God to confess sin, to give him thanks. Why do we neglect these things? Feed the spirit. And finally, we are free for good works. So check your fruits. A few things. First, we read in Matthew 7 that good trees produce good fruit. So do you have any fruit? Can people see you and say, man, he is patient? Do people see you do good? Are you characterized by good fruit? Secondly, what is your motivation for your fruit? Are you kind so people praise your kindness? Do you serve so that you will be lifted high rather than God? Is your fruit for you or for Christ? I listened to a Vody Bauckham sermon uh, this week, and he said, how do you finish this sentence? I'm a Christian because. Do you say, I'm a Christian because I, or I'm a Christian because of Christ? Check your fruit. But God, God saved us and made us alive together with Christ. He has set us free from the bondage of slavery. He has set us free to the most beautiful person ever, Christ. And he has freed us to do good works. Ultimately, Christ has given us a way to know him. Like I said, the most beautiful person ever. The radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of God's nature the one in whom and by whom all was created. This is the friend we have in Christ. If we fix our eyes on him, nothing else will matter. Let's pray. God, thanks for today and just your love for us, that you saved us, that although we were dead in our trespasses and sins, you saved us because of your great mercy and love which you had for us. And now from that, let us go out and do good works. Thank you for Jesus. It's in your name I pray.